when it comes to listening, uh, especially attentive listening, that is listening well, um, I would say it is almost a skill that not many people possess these days. Worse still, uh, people have not much interest at all uh, these days in developing their listening skill. People pick up all sorts of skills, uh, speaking skill, presentation skill, all kind of a skill, but listening skill is one of the uh, least favorite, I would say. If you don't believe me, um, next time you're on, on public transport, whether, whether on the bus or on the train, just look around and, and see how many people are actually having conversations with one another, with the person sitting next to them. It is very likely what you notice instead, most people are either looking, looking at their phones or have their headphones on. And if you're not using public transport to work, and to school, to uni, to school, whatever, you're driving instead or you're in the car, uh, the first thing when people do that, when they get in the car, what do they do? Well, a lot of times is they put on the radio. They switch on the radio and they put on and listen to the music. Now, we, we may be listening to something. Sure. But that is not attentive listening. Uh, we listen on the radio and the music in order to be entertained. That is not attentive listening. As a result of that, I believe many, many of us have almost lost the art, so to speak, of listening. Listening in order to understand, uh, listening in order to know about another person. Now, in Australia and, and perhaps in many other developed countries around the world, we rarely see neighbors talking anymore. I know it, it's COVID pandemic, you say, and it's not safe or, or that we are in lockdown. We're not supposed to do that. I know that. But even before the lockdown, if we are honest, you know, neighbors rarely talking to one another anymore. Neighbors prefer, even these days, I notice there's a trend, prefer to write notes to one another. Usually the notes contain what? Consists of complaint about something, that they're not happy, whether it's noise, you know, you're, you're playing music too early, uh, you're playing pianos too loud or whatever, uh, usually to complain, rather than to go over and speak to them face-to-face. -face. If there's dispute, they write notes. Now, so even, even when we are forced to speak to uh, or to listen to other people, um, we, we often would not, we, we don't take it as seriously anymore. For, for example, the most serious one is, say, say you go and see your doctor, your GP or whatever, and you listen to what they got to say. When you got home, you would consult another doctor. You would consult Dr. Google. And, you know, you just, you don't take it serious anymore what your doctors say or less seriously than, say, 20 years ago. Um, so that's if you see your doctor, <laughs> we, we don't trust anymore um, as well. Husband and wife, for example, you may be talking to one another, speaking to one another, but are you, the questions, are you actually listening to your spouse? A lot of times, it's just a lot of talk, but not actually a lot of listening. Now, we, I believe we will be worse off as a society if we lose this skill 
this attentive listening skill. I believe this is actually a, a pandemic. It's actually a pandemic itself. Uh, the difference between this pandemic and COVID-19 pandemic is that we, we don't realize how serious the problem is. We think it's okay that we don't listen to one another as well anymore. That no neighbors no longer talking to one another. We think that's that's okay. That's not a problem. You see, what what we have become is, if if we if all we care is about ourselves and our own family. You know what we'll become is is a society that does not care for one another anymore. You know what one reason why why is it awkward for us Christian to share our faith with our neighbors. Do you know why? Why is it awkward to do that? Because we no longer have any relationship with our neighbors. Of course, it's awkward. If you don't know your neighbors, if you don't have relationship with your neighbors, of course, it's awkward to share your faith. Even to borrow something, it's awkward because we don't have that relationship. But if we have that relationship, it's not awkward. It's actually natural. You share what's important to you. People share what's important in their life to one another all the time. And that is natural. It's not awkward. See, now children even grow up, grown up these days in, in Australia, in, in many countries around the world, uh, disre disrespecting their parents, uh, despising their parents' wisdom, you know, uh, they, they see their parents have, well, parents have often been labeled by their kids as old-fashioned or haven't caught up with time. They don't want to listen anymore to their parents. But parents, you know, are not perfect either. Parents make the same mistake when you ref refuse to listen to your kids, what, what, what they have to say. Um, you know, the, the challenges in life were very much different to, to yours when you were growing up. So there's no better way to understand and empathize parents with your children than to actually listening to them instead of speaking over to them or telling them how you were when you were growing up. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today, about listening and specifically on hearing God's voice. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at today. We, we are now on the second last sermon on the book of Job and we have seen how Job has challenged God to explain himself in regards to Job's suffering, his suffering. He summoned God to the court to be questioned. So far, God has to remain silent. And last week, we looked at um, how the fourth friend of Job, Elihu, made a speech about God who speaks in various ways, only if Job would listen. That was last week when we look at Elihu's speeches. Today in our passage, God finally speaks, open his mouth and speaks to Job. But not in a way that Job has expected God to speak or to answer him. Instead, God is teaching Job on how to listen. Now, while we all need to, to learn to listen better, uh, there's no one we should be listening to more than God himself. So the question for all of us as we're going to dig into this word, delve into this word is this. Don't you want to hear and listen to God's voice? I do. And I, my prayer and my hope is that you do too. That you actually want to hear and listen to God's voice. So if you've been asking, how can I hear God's voice? Um, 
perhaps this is this is for you. So let's look at this in in three sections. The first one is who are you? We're going to look at who are you? And then second one is who is God? And finally, can you trust God? Who are you? Who is God? And can you trust him? Can you trust God? So who are you? Now, Job, Job's hope was to put God on the witness stand, so to speak, to question him in regards to the suffering that he's going through. That's Job's goal. That's, that's Job's challenge to God. It is what many people do to God also without realizing it. We, we have demanded God to explain himself why this or that happened to us, to our city, to our country, to our family, whether it is a pandemic, a natural disaster, or cancer, or a sudden and untimely death of a loved one. We ask God, we question God, we demand God to explain himself. And Job was no different. But if God is God, right? If God is God, not, not someone who think God should be, if God is truly God, not some, some divine creature that, that we picture him to be, then God does not have to answer any of our questions. So it, that's our picture of God, you see. When, when we demand God to answer us, we, we put God in a box. We, we picture God that someone who will respond to our summon who will answer us. That's our own picture of God. But if God is God, he doesn't have to answer any of our questions. After all, God is the creator and we are the creatures. You see, creator does not need to answer the creatures. So picking up where Elihu left off last week, God speaks out of the whirlwind. Remember, the multiple ways of uh, how God speaks to us, according to Elihu. So God speaks uh, just right on cue, picks up where, where Elihu left off. Uh, let's look at verse 1 in, in chapter 38. He said, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, out of the storm, out of the eye of the storm, in the midst of storm, God speak. And that's where Elihu left off, remember? So God speaks to us and to Job in the midst of storm. Let us not miss this. This is, this is a thing. Uh, sometimes we, we miss this. That's why we despise um, suffering. We despise, despise storm of life. But don't miss this. If you survey the Bible and mark all the places where God, when God speaks to his people, you will starting to notice that more often than not, God speaks in and during the storm of life. Pay attention to all, all when God actually turns up and speaks to his servants throughout the Bible. More often than not, they are facing some sort of trouble or suffering or challenges in their life. And that's when God speaks. So instead of questioning God, if you want to hear God and listen to God, instead of questioning God, blaming God and becoming bitter even towards God when you are facing the storm of life, perhaps you ought to listen to his voice in the midst of what you are facing or going through right now what is God trying to say to you see many Christians desire to hear God right to hear God's voice to hear some kinds of revelation of God himself about them but they despise being in the midst of storm and God said that's that's how I speak that's how I speak 
So if you happen to be in one, perhaps God is trying to speak to you. Think about it. Consider it. Now, let me ask this again. Do, do you want to hear God's voice? Do you want to hear from God? And I hope you do, because um, when God speaks to us, um, not just generally, specifically and personally, um, that's all we need, whatever that we're going through. When you've, you realize that God is speaking to you, that's all you need. Now, you, you don't actually need much to, if you want to hear God's voice, you don't actually need much to hear him. But for most people, this is very hard because we have much, you see. Because we have much in life, we have come, we have become prideful. And now perhaps there's nothing we need that's more important when it comes to hearing from God than to possess humility. To hear from God, we need to possess humility. Now, have you ever argued, just, you know, think about this. Have you ever argued with someone or people who, who think that they are right? Of course you have. Otherwise, there won't be argument, would they? If, if, you, if they, they don't think they're right. Uh, the more a person thinks he is right, usually, because he knows a lot about that particular thing or particular issue that, being, that you guys are talking about or that being argued about, the harder than it is for that person to listen to the other person because you think you know much. See, humility is the key. See, husband and wife, when, when you have an argument, uh, what is the one thing that you need for you to actually listen to what your spouse has to say? Humility. Oftentimes, we are too prideful, so we don't want to listen. See, there is possibly nothing uh, that can close our ears from hearing uh, God's voice faster than pride. So when God finally speaks to Job, that is the first thing that God is going to address Job on, his pride. So how did you do that? How did God, oh well, how did God do that to Job? How did God address Job's pride? Well, by questioning on Job's credibility. That's what God is doing. In, in, in a court of law, let me give you an example. In the court of law, one of the techniques uh, lawyers employ is to bring an expert witness to support their argument. But not just any witness. They want a credible witness. Why? Well, because the credibility and the expertise of the witness on the matter is crucial if the court is to believe what the witness has to say on the matter. Now, if, say in a criminal case, for example, if the goal is to convince the jury that the victim has died of a heart attack, not a gunshot wound from a gunshot wound, then it is no good to bring in a priest or a pastor as a witness. A priest is not a credible expert when it comes to determining how a victim died, how the victim died, right? So this is what God is doing. Job has challenged God and questioned God for his suffering. And he, he, he God answered this challenge by questioning Job's on his credibility on the matter of how he should run the universe or how the universe should work. When, when Job questioned God why he, as a righteous person, must suffer or suffer in this way, in a way, Job is accusing God for not doing a good job in running the universe. That's what is Job accusing God of. 
And Job want to put God on the hot seat. Um, Job may have got what he wanted, that is, uh, summoning God. But instead of putting God on the hot seat, though, God is putting Job on the hot seat. Instead of Job questioning God, God is questioning Job. As we read the, the scriptures today, did you pay attention to, to what it's being said? Like, let, let's look at quickly, right? Glance your Bible. I'm going to go through this quickly with us. In verse 2, chapter 38, uh, 38 verse 2, we say, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge, dress for action like a man? I will question you. This is God the Job. And you will make it known to me. You see, God turned the table now. And then verse 4. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Or verse 8. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? In verse 12, God says, um, have you, Job, commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Verse 16, God says, have you, Job, entered into the springs of the sea and walked in the recesses of the deep? In verse 22, have you, Job, entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? Verse 25, who has said, who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt? And God continue on in, in verse 30, uh, 34. He said, Job, can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? And then a series of can you or who has, who can? And verse 39, he continued to say, can you, Job, hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? God continues on questioning Job. And for every single question, Job has to answer negatively. Affirmatively, no. I cannot. I have not. See, God is showing Job who he really is by asking him indirectly, who are you, Job? You're nobody. To summon me? To put me on a witness stand? See, the first thing God did that is putting Job um, in his place. Why? Well, because Job will never be able to hear. God knows that Job will never be able to hear and listen to God until he realizes who he is and who God is. Job must get rid of his pride if he's to hear and listen to God. Job needs to humble himself before God. And the same is sweet to you and me. For us to hear God, we need humility now, but as I said before, humility is, is a rare thing to have. Uh, there, there is a story of a, a humble man who dedicates all his life in service to others. And one day, the community where he served decided to honor him and gave him a certificate, right? That says to the most humble man, certificate. He, the, the man took it home. He framed it with a nice frame and he hung it on the wall of his study. So he can look at it every time, every day he go in and walk past. And he look at it one day and he says to the most humble man. He thought and he paused for a moment, he thought, and then he took it down instantly. You know what's happening there? See, humility, when you are aware of it, it becomes pride. Humble people don't know that they are humble. If you know you are a humble person, perhaps... You are not. 
You don't become humble by telling yourself to be humble. You don't become humble thinking that you are humble. You can only begin to be humble when God, in his grace, reveals how prideful you are. So that's a question for us. Has God revealed your pride? The more people realize how prideful they are, I believe the more humble that person is. Not, not the other way around. Not the more you, you think that you're humble, that you're humble. Actually, quite the opposite. If you think you are prideful and God has revealed your pride in you, I believe you, you are on the journey to become a humble person. Now, if you're in the midst of storm right now, before we move on, if you're in the midst of storm right now, instead of questioning God and asking him why, why not we learn instead to ask God, what do you want to say to me, Lord? What do you want to teach me about, Lord? Now, second point, who is God? So God continues to speak uh, through chapter 39, after 38, 39, 40, uh, by asking Job about the animals, specifically on how little power or control Job has over these animals. Um, so let's look at chapter 39. If you have your Bible uh, with you, I just want us to... Uh, survey this together again verse one you say just look at the animals that god refers to right the range of animals 30 uh, 39 verse one mountain goats and verse five wild donkeys verse nine uh, wild ox verse 13 ostrich verse 19 horse 26 hawk and 27 eagle there's a range of animals. And this is what, what God wants Job to, uh, to know is that only after Job knows his place and who God is that he's ready to hear and listen to God. And, and by the end of that, by the end of chapter 39, and God says to Job in chapter 40, and the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And then this is what Job says. Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I'm a small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job is saying this. I will proceed no further. He's now ready. I said, I will not talk anymore, God. I will not question you anymore. Now Job is ready to listen, to hear God's voice. So then God proceeds to speak about two mysterious animals. This is where hope starts to come in. Now that Job is ready to hear God's voice, to listen to God, hopes will come. But this is, you know, a, a language of poetry. It's perhaps it's not as straightforward, but this is hope. What God is saying now, it's hope. God proceeds by speaking to Job about two mysterious animals, behemoth and leviathan. Um, you, will, you will see that uh, in 40 verse 15 and then 40, chapter 41 verse 1. 
yes. What are these behemoth and leviathan? Well, they're, they're theories about what these animals are. There, there are a lot of theories out there. Uh, whether some theories say they are, they are a particular animals that, that uh, exist today, or some theories say they are kind of extinct animals um, that were once roaming the earth, before, but no longer. But that's not what I'm here to talk to you about. Um, I don't want to speculate. I don't want to delve on, on, on theories. But rather, I want us to pay attention to what God said here. What, what's God's point when God talked about behemoth and Leviathan? So Job 40, verse 15 to 18, God says this. Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you, Job, he eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He make his tail stiff like a cedar and sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs like bars of iron. What is God is saying? He said, behemoth that I made Job is strong. In a way, God reveals his power because Job is nobody in when it comes to strength power compared to behemoth god says i made behemoth job god reveals his power you see to job and god continues on in chapter 41 uh, to leviathan another mysterious uh, sea creatures now before behemoth on land like an ox eating grass now leviathan is a sea creature now not only god is powerful and in control of, of behemoth in the land but God is also powerful and in control of Leviathan in the sea. And verse 1, 41, verse 1 and 2, God says, Job, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose and pierce his jaw with a hook? The answer is no, right? And that's the point. Because God says, I can, you can't, I can. See, the second thing that, that, could help us hear and listen to God is to know who God really is. Not only we need to know who we are and how prideful we are, and that has stopped us, prevent us from hearing God. The second thing is we need to know who God really is to see and know his greatness. While Job and all humanity, that's including you and I, are powerless in the face of behemoth and Leviathan, God is sovereign over them. Not only God created them, God is in control and sovereign over them. So the question for us is this. Do you know who God is? How, how well do you know our Lord? Do you know how powerful he is? When we know how great God is, all our problems will become small in comparison to God. When you know how great God is, all our problems will become small in comparison. See, Job's suffering is great. And not many people experience suffering in life as great as what Job is experiencing. Yet, when God reveals himself to Job, Job's suffering shrinks. Everyone, you and I included, will, will go through suffering in this life one way or another. But Christians have a way now, have a tool now, to handle suffering rightly. 
we have a tool. Do you know how people handle suffering? Well, the most common ways are they either make it a big deal that their suffering is great, bigger than it really is, or in other ways, they pretend that it is nothing, their suffering is nothing, that it doesn't affect them at all. They're not bothered at all by it. See, Christians are quite different, right, to this. But let, let's look at, if, for example, if you make, if you want that make a big deal out of suffering, any suffering you make a big fuss about it, make a big deal, you, what happens is you will not only become helpless, you will become hopeless. You will become so miserable, overwhelmed in your life by the suffering that you're facing. You will, at all costs, will avoid, try to avoid suffering and despise suffering. You'll seek comfort in life instead of just trusting God. See, when you're suffering, you will, you will then have, have no good reason to continue on living. Perhaps some people even ended up their life because they, they make a big deal out of their suffering so much more than it actually is. I'm not saying that these are not real. See, when, when you make a really big deal out of your suffering, when you become helpless and hopeless, you will also at the same time deny the existence of God who is good and loving. And that, what, that is what God is revealing himself to Job about. On the other hand, if, if you're not fatalistic, if you instead you pretend that suffering is nothing, it doesn't affect you at all, doesn't bother you at all, then I would suggest to think about it in this way. Because I, I would suggest that you, I would think that you are not really living anymore. You are so numb with pain and suffering that you're not really living anymore. You will also become hopeless if you get to that state because you accept everything that comes your way as fate. Uh, you accept that death is normal, that cancer is part of life, that it's okay, it's normal. No, death is not normal. Cancer is not normal. God did not create death. God did not create death nor cancer. So none of those is normal, you see. Now, Christian, on the other hand, I said, have, have the tool now. It's God revealed himself to Job. Christian have the right tool because we see and experience suffering from God's perspective. Suffering is not nothing. Christian don't believe suffering is not nothing. Suffering is real. It is devastating for some, yet we can walk through it. Christian can walk through it because we know who God is. Not only that he's suffering, but he's a good and loving God. And that gives hopes because cancer is not the end. Death of a loved one is not the end. Or suffering, however deep it is, it is not the end. Now, Tim Keller explained what happens to Christian when, when, when they go through suffering. He writes this. We move when, when what happened, right? When people experience this is that Tim Keller says, we move from abstract knowledge about God to a personal encounter with him as a living reality through the furnace of affliction. It's only when we go through the fire of affliction. No longer we know God from hearsay, from, as a, from, from, from third party source. 
when we go through the fire of affliction, we will move from that knowledge, that, that source knowledge, hearsay knowledge of God, to a personal encounter with God, as Job is experiencing right now with God. In the midst of suffering, if, if you know who you are and who God is, perhaps you will find hope in that, not despair. Perhaps also God is trying to get your attention, to speak to you. Some of us does not seek God in, in, in the highs of life. When, when you're on the mountaintops, we don't seek God. Perhaps God is trying to get your attention for you to finally stop and, and seek him and hear him, try to listen to God as he's speaking to you. So can you, then the next question is this, can you trust this powerful God? God is sovereign, God is powerful. Can you trust this powerful God? So that leads us to our third point. Can you trust God? So Job asked God for an explanation for his suffering, right? And Job answers to God is this. Did you create the behemoth or the Leviathan, Job? Now, for some, God's answer here, when, when you read it, they say God, God is dodging the question. God is not answering Job. It, it is a cop-out move by God. How can you answer uh, did you create behemoth Job when Job is asking, why am I suffering? I'm righteous. See, if, if you see Job's response, uh, you will see that Job believes God actually answered him justly. And Job is satisfied with God's answer. Or should I say God's questioning rather than answers. So let me explain and, and uh, try and explain how Job could be satisfied with uh, God's answer when God's answer doesn't seem to connect, right? When God speaks of behemoth and Leviathan, this is what happened. God is speaking of the real enemies. When you're suffering, as you go through life, God is speaking of the real enemies. God is explaining to Job, who is the real enemy here? See, behemoth and Leviathan, um, they are the real enemies, not just mythical creatures, now, some, let me open a couple of uh, references here. Psalm 74, there's a mention of Leviathan in this. Psalm 74, verse 12 to 14. Yet God, my king, is from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You cross the heads of the Leviathan, Psalm 74. Now, Isaiah say the same. Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1. In that day, the Lord with his heart and great and strong sword, what will he do? Will punish Leviathan, the, flee, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. See, as far as Job is concerned, the manner of his suffering is settled when God explained to him about Leviathan and Behemoth. How? Because the real enemies, Behemoth, Leviathan, though they may be powerful, though no human beings can stop them, God is in control of them. God, said, God has them on a leash, like a dog on a leash. When God asked Job a series of questions, can you, Job, can you do that? Have you, Job? Where were you, Job? 
Job can only reply, I can't. I don't know. But God affirmatively, again and again, you cannot, but I can. And that is enough for Job. And that is a set, an answer satisfying for Job. Now, if that is satisfying and enough for Job, I believe that should be enough for us also. If we know who we are and if we know who God is, that should be enough for us. Now, when, when you are facing suffering, when you don't understand and you have many questions, remind yourself of who you are and who God is. Know that God has evil, the real enemy, on a leash. What does it mean when, when God says that Bahim, he's in control of Bahimit and Levine? What does it mean for God to have them on a leash? This is what it means. That not a, however deep that your suffering is, however much you're suffering right now, whatever you're going through right now, not a millimeter deep, deeper, not, a, not a, even a millimeter deeper can a suffering cut you than what God has allowed it to happen to you. Not even a millimeter more. Because God has it on the leash. Now, as Christians, not only do we have God's word that he has Leviathan on the leash, we have seen it crush. Remember God said, on that day, God will crush the Leviathan. Not only we heard the, the word of God, but we have seen it crush. God, through his son's death on the cross, the Leviathan's head is crushed. Suffering, this is another quote from, um, from Tim Keller. He says this, suffering can refine us rather than destroy us because God himself walks us in the fire. Walks with us in the fire. See, how, how did God walk with us in the fire? Well, it, it costs God nothing less than the life of his own son, Jesus. That's how God walks with us in the fire. Do you see that when you're suffering, when you're facing a storm in your life, you're never alone? God has walked that path. He has walked in the fire. So this morning, I believe and my praise is that God has spoken to you through his word personally. He longs to speak to you, to each of you, personally, individually, not, not just in a general sense. The question is this, do you hear him? Has your pride blocked your ears from hearing God? Do you think you are a humble person? Or instead, God reveals in your heart how prideful you are. So what, what, what do you do with that? If you hear God's voice, um, God show who you are and who he is, what do you do with that? How can you put that into practice? What does it mean for you? Let me suggest one thing. There are many things, there are many implications, but let me suggest one thing. If God has given you hope through his word, must you not also make it your mission to share this hope that you have with the people you know? Maybe you ask me, how? How do I do that? Easy. How about start by listening to the people around you for a start? See, it's only awkward for us to share our life and our faith with people we know, our neighbors, our friends, 
It's only awkward if we never listen to them. But if we have relationship, if we listen to them, it's not awkward. It's only natural to share what is good that you have experienced with someone in your life. The people, your friends, your neighbors, your family. It's natural. So why don't you start listening to them? As God spoken to you this morning and give you hope in your suffering. Let us pray.